Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Heavy Branches Podcast. Uh, we want to thank you for tuning in today. Tanner, how was your week, man? My week's been good. Um, it slowed down a little bit from the last month, but that's not been a bad thing. Um, getting ready for our wedding, me and Mackenzie's wedding, getting ready for moving in Saturday to my new home, and that's going to be really cool. And so a uh, little bit of emotions this week because – I've been living with my grandparents for five years, uh, which is crazy that it's been that long, but a little bit of emotions, you know. I can still remember the heartbreak when you moved away from Grant County. I felt like I was losing my best friend. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy that not only has it, I've lived with them for five years, but I've been away from home for five years. So, um, wild stuff, wild stuff. How's your week been? It's, it's been great. Um, I've been kind of settling into the routine of the semester. So I have three different classes I'm taking right now, and I'll have a couple other modules, but I'm taking class on apologetics, which is a subject that I love and is, is totally awesome. Uh, taking a class on preaching with Carrie Allen, and couldn't ask for a, a better preaching instructor or apologetics instructor or You're not kidding. anything. All of my professors this semester are great. So I have a preaching class an apologetics class, and then I have Intro to Biblical Languages. So right now we're, we're doing some Greek, and then later on in the semester we're going to be doing some more Hebrew. But I've just been getting into the routine of the semester and getting ready to do some more fill-in preaching at the end of this month and in October, so kind of weighing through some different sermon ideas I have and going to start the writing process here in the next week or so. So it's been a good week. I miss the classes, but I don't miss that routine. <laughs> uh, You'll get back into it eventually when you finally listen to me. <laughs> when I listen, that's that's a that's a big yeah that won't happen. That's a big win. That won't happen. Um, we want to take some time just real quick to thank you all so much for the initial response. We honestly, I I don't know about Jacob. I really wasn't expecting the response that we got, and it's been overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, I I was totally blown away. Didn't know what to expect. I didn't, if we, if we would have not heard from anybody about it this week, I wouldn't have been too shocked other than a few people that we told about it that I knew were going to listen to the first episode because they told me before we even made it. But yeah, it was a total shock to me too. Yeah. We, we even said in our intro, our, our goal with this was, is, is not, and not that we have it, but our goal is not to like blow up and make it big. We're just two guys that wanted to start a podcast and talk about Jesus. So uh, it, it's been a, a blessing for to see all of the, the positive feedback. Um, just like last time, well, I think you had something to say before we get into our Mark Your Calendar section. So we wanted to just let you guys know that we, we are very new at this, and due to that, we're in the, the testing process with some new audio equipment for today's episode. Um, hopefully you're able to tell. Hopefully it's better so far. I, I know we had a few hiccups with the first couple episodes, and the whole audio engineering process, if you will, is very new to me. And so it, it's been it's been a learning curve, and we're we're hoping that we're we're going to be able to make a high quality production for you guys. That way, when you're listening to this, you can enjoy it and not be like, okay, I can't hear these guys, or it it sounds bad. So we wanted to thank you for your patience, but we also wanted to let you guys know, please reach out, whether you leave a comment, uh, whether you, you talk about it on our Facebook page, or whether you, many of you probably know Tanner and I personally, reach out to us personally. Let us know if you can hear us clearly, yeah. or if there are any problems with the audio or, or anything going on. Please let us know. Um, that way we can 
make it the best it can for you guys. And we're going to continue to test things, you know, as we, as we keep doing this and grow and learn, we're going to keep trying things and figure out what works best. Yeah. And so as we get into our market, mark your calendar section for this week, we want you to be aware of different church events coming up uh, in the Brotherhood of Christian Church, Churches of Christ. And one that we mentioned last week was the Grissom Refuel, Refuel event, which is going to be October 27th through 29th. Uh, this is going to be a week a weekend event at the Church of Christ at Grissom, and it's designed to bring people together for fellowship, teaching, worship, and encouragement. So if, if you're in a season of, of life right now where you just need to be recharged or, or refueled to, to continue serving the Lord with whatever area you're serving Him, I would really encourage you to check this out. I, th- I know it'll be a great encouragement, and it'll be very very beneficial. I'll be there, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and we also wanted to mention uh, person-to-person ministries in Hillsboro, Ohio. They are their main location is Restoration Acres. They hold classes seasonally, and so they're holding a class, a fall class, uh, September seventh, fourteenth, twenty-first, and twenty-eighth. It's from six thirty to eight thirty. So I I wish I would have remembered this last week, so I could have mentioned it. You know, a couple weeks out, but it starts next week. But they take people. You know, if you can't make it till the next week, they'll still let you come. But there's a excellent preacher named Jason Bowl. He will be teaching the class. We got to actually hear him at Hillsbury Hillsborough Family Camp this yeah, year. Preach, preached a wonderful sermon. Yeah, so he's teaching a class called Wisdom from Genesis. Uh, and again, that's September 7th, 14th, 21st, and 28th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., and if you want more information, you can contact person to person using their number, which we'll probably put in the description of this video. Yeah, but I can throw it in. I'll go ahead and say it as well, 937-840-9072. Or you can uh, look up their website, which is person to person or sorry, let me restart that, www.p2pm.org. I, I'm used to seeing the P2E yeah. and just saying person to person. So I'll say that one more time, www.p2pm.org. Now, is this class something you have to be in Hillsborough for, or is this offered online? Do you know? I'm pretty sure it's only in person, okay. um, uh, but you might be able to find exactly more information regarding that on, on their website. So. Okay. I actually haven't heard about that before just now, so I'll have to check that out after we're done here. Um. So... I want to remind you all about the purpose of this podcast. We are striving to learn and grow in our ability to bear fruit. And in doing that, we are trying to prove to be disciples of Jesus. That is, that is the whole goal, to grow in our, and learn in our ability to bear fruit and so prove to be disciples of Jesus. And that's based off of our key passage, John fifteen eight. And I will encourage you to read that again uh, and and really think about what that means for you as a Christian living your Christian life. As Christians, we are branches hanging on the vine, the main vine, which is Jesus. So with that said, let's hang together in Luke chapter 2. Um, as I mentioned last week, we want to be sure that you guys are reading Along with us, read before the podcast, read during, read after, whatever works best for you, but make sure you're reading Luke chapter 2 before uh, and 
so that we can dive into the scriptures together and, and really see and, and grow from what the scriptures are saying. And as, as always, we're trying to maintain context as we give overviews of these things. And in order to maintain context of chapter 2 of Luke, I just wanted to do a quick summary of some of what we some of what happened in chapter 1 of Luke. So we see in chapter 1 of Luke the the prophecy of John the Baptist being born and and the angel coming to um Zacharias and and uh we see the prophecy of Jesus and Gabriel coming and talking to Mary and then we see the birth of John the Baptist and then we see and and then we see you know some praise from Mary we see some praise from Zacharias because of what he's just witnessed and so that's kind of what's happened leading up to this chapter 2 where we're going to get into the Christmas story Alrighty. Christmas in August that's how it goes nowadays, I guess. But we're not going to cover all Luke chapter 2. Uh, we said that with chapter 1. It was 80 verses. Uh, chapter 2 is less. It's only 52, but we're still not going to be able to cover every verse. But I, I believe there was a few topics we wanted to, to really cover and hone in on. Yeah, so we're still hitting you know, what we consider some key thoughts that relate to chapter 2. The first thing that I saw when I was reading this, just in verses 1 through 6 is this idea of God in government. Now, this is, a, this is a thing that I think a lot of people struggle with today. Um, it doesn't, this isn't political. It, this is for anyone. We, as a Christian people, we struggle with dealing with this thing of government. Um, and so if I actually wanted to read... Verse Romans, I wanted to read from Romans, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, because this is really the scripture that people don't understand how to take. Okay. Uh, so the scripture says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for, fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. And it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Now, what we find in these first few verses of, of Luke chapter 2 is that this is a perfect example of God's sovereignty and, and over government. And it shows us why it is important that we realize that government is under God's control and why we need to obey the government up until the point that we are commanded to do something that's directly opposed to a command of God. Because that's what Romans is talking about. We need to be obedient to our government, governing authorities because they are God-ordained to be in the position that they're at. Now, that does not mean that 
every decision that the government makes, God has forced them to do that. But it does mean that they were placed there for God's purposes. And there is, there is a difference in that. But as Absolutely. we... And this is an example of that. By no means was the Roman Empire a shining star of, of faith to God. Oh, they were... <laughs> probably more opposed to the Christian faith than any government I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, we it's actually the Roman government that ends up being the people that crucify Jesus, and we see that later. They crucified Peter and Paul, and, yeah, they, they persecuted the church very heavily. So, I, I, with that being said, again, God doesn't control every decision that the government makes, but they are placed there for God's purposes. And one of those purposes we see right here in the first six verses of chapter two. Imagine with me if Joseph and Mary decided not to obey when they were called to go, when they were called for this census. Really think about that. Imagine if Joseph and Mary did not obey and stayed in Nazareth. Why would that be a problem? Because Jesus had to fulfill every prophecy. If, he, if we're going to have him as our Messiah, as the Son of God, as the one that the Jewish people were waiting for, yeah, he's, he's got to fulfill every last prophecy. And, and we see Joseph and Mary were not in Bethlehem. They were in Nazareth. That's where they were living. And so they had to travel, and what, what we know is probably about four days' walk, 90-ish miles, they had to travel to go to Bethlehem, and so and they did that. This census came about. It's, this is all under God's control. You kind of have to think for a moment. You know, God, God came to Mary at the perfect time for when she was going to be due, this census was going on, and they had to travel to Bethlehem. But they had to be obedient and actually go to Bethlehem for this to happen. And that, that that would not have been a quick and easy journey that's just, oh, at the end of the day, let's you know go on over where we need to go for the census. No, it was, what you say, a four days travel? Four days travel and 90 miles, and I can't imagine any, any woman that I know that has ever been pregnant around me wanting to walk 90 miles. Yeah, uh, certainly. I not. don't want to walk 90 miles in four days, let alone being pregnant, so... That's just, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> so you can you also can think that, you know, we can think together that God knew that this census was coming, and he has control f- over the government for his purposes. Did he cause the government to, to make this census happen? No, but he knew it was coming, and with his sovereignty, was able to make the way for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem and fulfill this prophecy that was, uh, that was said back in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. His timing, God's timing is perfect. Absolutely. It always is. Then as we go on from those six verses, I just want to point out verse 11. Verse 11 of, of Luke chapter 2 says, For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That is such a bold statement. 
you are a Savior who is Christ the Lord in the womb. As we saw, as we talked about last chapter in verse one, when Elizabeth goes, the mother of my Lord, yeah, and her Lord is in the womb still, not even, not even born yet. So even in the womb, Jesus was Lord. Just born, I mean, moments after he's born, he is Lord. He's been Lord the whole time. So before Jesus ever was even on the earth as a human being. He was the Lord and Savior. He, yeah. that, that plan was not a a knee-jerk reaction to our ability to not keep the old covenant law. God didn't intend for us to keep that and have salvation that way. The salvation we have through Christ was planned from before the world was even created. Yeah, he was born the Savior. He was God's anointed from the beginning to be the Savior, the Lord of all. And we, I want you to see that in that verse. We have to believe that. Um, you know, God placed him here at the perfect time for this purpose to be the savior, uh, his anointed Lord over, over all people. And as we continue to read and, and through his life about his life, we're going to see again and again, he is Lord. Absolutely. As we keep moving down through chapter two, I kind of found this little section, this little verse, very interesting, and it gets. We come to this point where the angels are rejoicing over Jesus's birth, and you know, I actually thought about this because of you, Jacob. Okay. Um, you, I know you have this Spotify playlist specifically because of what I'm about to bring up. And oh, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> how often do we sing songs of quote unquote praise that are more about us or all about us than they are about God? Well, when you're singing songs to God, whether it's Sunday morning at the the church gathering, uh, Sunday evening, or in the car by yourself or with other people, wherever you sing songs to God and for God, I really want to challenge you to pay attention to the lyrics that you're actually saying because words matter and what we are saying to God and for God and about God matters. And I've really just noticed that a lot of the songs we sing as worship songs are more about us than about God. And And another thing is, is I'm not the only person that's noticed this. This phrase has been labeled as um, Jesus is my boyfriend music. <laughs> and I I can't think of a strong enough word to tell you how much I don't like Jesus is my boyfriend music. <laughs> um, so I'm going to put you on the spot here just because I think put it's interesting and it's fun. Yes. Oh my. I have three different um, little s- snippets of different songs. Okay. Okay. At least one of these is a Christian worship song, and at least one of these is just a secular song that is about love. And, and what I mean by this Jesus is my boyfriend music is if you, if you just looked at that song and sang it, you wouldn't know if you were singing to God or if some teenage girl wrote this and was singing to their boyfriend because, the, because of what the words are. So I'm supposed to guess So I want you to guess. Which? I'm going to read the, the song. I'm not going to sing it because you don't want me to sing. No one on here wants me to sing, believe me. 
I can I'm, I'm going to read you the lyrics, not the whole song, but just a little snippet. All right. And I want you to tell me Christian worship song or secular love song. Okay. There's three songs. There's at least one of each. I'm okay. not going to tell you how many of each, but so here we go. Here's the first one. Your love is extravagant. Your friendship, it is intimate. I feel like moving to the rhythm of your grace. Your fragrance is intoxicating in our secret place. Your love is extravagant. Christian worship song or secular love song. If you need me to say it again, I'll say it again. I'm going to say Christian worship song, but there's some key words that give that one away. Uh, But... You don't say Lord or Jesus or anything like that. You're right. That one is that one is Christian worship song. Here's the next one. I won't give up on us, even if the skies get rough. I'm giving you all of my love. I'm still looking up. I'm still looking up. Uh, I would say secular song. Yeah, you're right on that one. You might you might but, ace this. That's close. Not not too big of a difference there, if you didn't notice. Here's the last one. The I'm looking up really, really almost sold me the other way. I, I tried to sell it. Here's the last one. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe. Feel your heartbeat. This love is so deep, it's more than I can stand. I melt in your presence. Before I answer, what's most surprising to me is I actually don't know if I know any of these three I tried songs. to particularly choose these because I didn't want to choose one that you would just know instantly. Yeah. Um, if you need me to read it again, Read that one one more time. Okay. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe. Feel your heartbeat. This love so deep, it's more than I can stand. I melt in your presence. That one's hard, but the only thing making me think that it's got to be a Christian worship song is the cup part. You're right. It's a, that one is a Christian worship Can song. It, do you have the, the titles of these three songs? I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, I didn't care enough for them to really remember the title or write <laughs> it down. So. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, you can Google those lyrics, and it'll come up, I'm sure, if you want to fact check me that those really are Christian songs, and the one is a secular love song, but... There's really a problem if I've got to sit here and reread lyrics of songs to you, and you've got to sit here and think about, man, I can't tell if this is a song to worship, honor, and praise God, or if this is a love song written by whoever to their lover. When we praise and worship God, (laughs) please pay attention to the lyrics of the songs that you're singing. I know a lot of people liked like songs because of the beat and the rhythm and i do too however when it comes to songs we're singing to god for god and about god the lyrics and the words of the song matter more than how good it sounds when it's played if we're singing things that are theologically inaccurate or if we're singing things that makes me feel like jesus is my boyfriend i'm sorry but that's (laughs) that's not a worshipful song um one more example I, i can't remember the name of the song but one song I was listening to recently said something along the lines of, God, please give me faith. God, please give me faith. God, does God give us faith, or is faith a response that we have 
due to the reasons God has given us to believe. Think about, th- I want you to think about that for a second. Is faith something that God gives us, whether we want it or not, or is faith something that we have in response to the reasons God has given us to believe? I think you and I would both agree the Bible teaches us that faith is a, is a response that we make on our own with our own free will based on the reasons God has given us to believe. There, there's this false idea out there uh, among a lot of Christianity that faith is a gift from God in the sense that we have no part in coming to faith and coming to believe in Jesus, that God just picks and chooses, I'm going to give Tanner faith, and he's going to be saved and be in heaven, but Jacob, no, he's not getting the gift of faith, so he, he's he's going to be doomed. Yeah, it's this idea of him forcing us, but that's not how he created us. And I, and I can't tell you how many times in our churches I've heard us sing these songs, maybe not this specific song I'm referring to, but songs with with completely false doctrines and, and ideas that are not found in the Bible. And what is it saying to God when we sing that to him? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go on a, on a slight tangent real quick based off of what you're saying. Okay, I go was ahead. just talking to my youth group. I'm going through the Ten Commandments with them on Wednesday nights, and we were talking about the the third commandment, or the third of the Ten Commandments, which says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And, you know, today all of that focus is just on not saying, oh, my God, is yeah. basically the only time that ever gets spoken about. But really what this is saying is God has blessed us with his name. God has blessed us with as Christians, being able, we we get this title of being in Christ, and that means we're supposed to live a certain way. So, not taking His name in vain is not just not saying His name in, like, is it's not just not saying, "Oh my God." It is number one using His name in a manner of respect. So, when we look at songs. One way that we disrespect him is putting his name in a song that talks about false doctrine. Amen to that, brother. Number two, one of the ways that we disrespect him is when we're singing this song of praise that isn't very praising. It's actually disrespectful because we're treating God like a boyfriend instead of like God should be treated. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I had to think about that, or I, I had to bring that, that, that Ten Commandment up as we were as you were talking, because it just felt like it fit right in. I don't know how many times I've sat in a church service now and not sang a song, purposely just quit singing because it wasn't a song of praise. It was a song that, honestly, I felt was disrespectful. uh, I've had had the very same feeling, and I've I've stood there and not sung as well. Um, So I, I know where you're coming from. So we encourage you as the church, as Christians, part of Christ's church, that you are actually bearing fruit. We talked about this just you know a couple weeks ago. Part of bearing fruit is actually praising God, and that means praising him the right way. So be careful, church, that when you're at, as you try to bear fruit by praising God, make sure you're actually praising God, not yourself, 
make sure you're actually praising God in a respectful way. Um, you know, that's so important to this life of bearing fruit and proving to be his disciples. When our life comes to an end, we're going to have to give an account for every word that we said. And I, I would not want to stand before God. And when I'm giving an account for some of the words I said or some of the songs that I've sang, maybe, hopefully not, but maybe even some of the sermons that I've preached or lessons that I've taught, I know I've, I've come a long way from when I first started and still have a long way to go. But our, our words matter is what I want you to know. Are beats and rhythms and the music in the song important and are they uplifting and can they really make a difference? Absolutely. But I want to really challenge you, please pay attention to the lyrics in the songs that you're singing. Our life focus should be on God, not on ourselves. And, you know, that goes back to another Ten Commandment if we wanted to get into it. But we need to move on in Luke chapter 2. I wanted to point out verses 19 and verse 51. Uh, This is actually something Jacob brought up to me as we were speaking a little bit this week about it, but we found this phrase when when the scriptures are speaking about Mary. We found this phrase very interesting, and I'll read verse 19 and 51 for you guys. It says, verse 19 says, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, And then verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother, again Mary, treasured all these things in her heart. So this, this, the treasured all these things in, in her heart, in the heart phrase, we, we really wanted to spend a little time on that, because it's, it says it twice, we were taught in school, if something is, (laughs) <laughs> if there's a word or a phrase said more than once, you know, it has to have some kind of significance or importance. The first thing is we just see the deep love of a mother in this in this phrase. And it's not just the deep love of any mother. It's the deep love of Jesus Christ's mother. It's the deep love of a young mother. We, t- I mean, there are a lot of... You know, I I guess part of me doesn't want to have to bring this up, but there are a lot of teen pregnancies today where you see that the child is just forgotten about or neglected or given to somebody else to take care of, or if and that's if it's even born at all. Yeah. Um, but we see again this faithful mother that loves her son, um, overwhelming. She has this overwhelming sense of responsibility for him that leads her to be searching for him when he was left behind in Jerusalem and and leads her to have these deep thoughts and heart-wrenching moments thinking about what she's just heard about her son. You know, she had just heard from the shepherds uh, about who her son was, and she had just heard from... um, I'm drawing a blank on on the name here. Let me let me look real quick. Uh, the name of the the prophet, or not the prophet, the the Simeon. Simeon. That's what I was looking for. She had just heard from Simeon about who her son was, but also there's a glimpse of what he was going to do, and so she has this responsibility and love, and that's really a big part of what these verses are talking about. With that being said, she treasured all that Jesus was. 
So, she, you know, she treasured what was being said of him, and she treasured what was being said by him. So not only do we see what the shepherds say and what Simeon says, but also right before the second time uh, it says that about her in verse 51, we see that Jesus actually says something to her as a, as a young you know, 12-year-old Jesus. And so these things she ponders, and really what she's pondering is what it meant for him to be who he was. Okay. So she has given birth not just to any child. She's given birth to the Son of God. Mm. And every time it's, both times it says this, she's pondering in her heart the things that these, these amazing things that have been said about her son, that he is the Christ, that he's the Messiah that has been prophesied about. So as I was reflecting on this this week, um, about how Mary has treasured her son Jesus in her heart, I, I asked myself today, in, in our time today, do we set aside a place in a special place in our lives for Jesus? And the verse of scripture that came to my mind, this is a verse of scripture maybe you've you've heard, maybe you've committed to memory. If you've done any apologetic study, you've or, or personal evangelism study, you've probably looked at this. But First Peter 3.15, Peter writes, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and reverence. And depending on your, your Bible translation where it says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, some, some translations say set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. So we see it in Mary here in Luke chapter 2, and we see it to be true from the New Testament for our lives too. Christ deserves a special place in our heart and in our lives where we set him apart as Lord, always being ready to to give a defense for the hope that we have. I, I just thought that was a, an interesting connection that I made this week when we consider this idea of what do we treasure in our heart? Because Jesus said, Out from the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. Mm. So are we speaking to people about our faith in Jesus? Are we, are we speaking to people about our Christianity? And I don't mean our Christian friends. Not, or I don't mean just our Christian friends. Are we speaking to people who, who desperately need the gospel about Christ? If not, does he have a special place set aside in your heart and in your life? Have you sanctified him, set him apart as Lord in your heart and in your life so that out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak just like Jesus said it would. It isn't just a matter of the mind. It is the deepest part of you, as deep as you can go, the heart. And that's where she's pondering these things from. Realizing it or not yet, her son, God's son, Jesus came here so that one day we won't be here. Absolutely. Um, one of those things she's pondering actually is dealing. One of those things she's dealing with is what Simeon said in verses thirty-four and thirty-five. It says, "And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword 
will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So from a child, from a, from a child, when Simeon is holding him as a baby, we have the shadow of his future sacrifice on the cross. Mm. And she's pondering this and he's just a baby. Uh, it's incredible. But what's great and what we can go into our next point is what she's pondering is not really a thing of sadness, although she may think that at the time. Jesus is our hope. And we really can see that in verses 29 through 32, which says, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. This is Simeon talking. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That is a statement of hope from a faithful man, Simeon, who is holding the Son of God. Verse 21, or sorry, verse 29 is a fulfilled promise to Simeon, which gives us confident hope. Verse 30 is, we see that Jesus is the hope of salvation. He isn't just, we can't, it's not only that we have confidence because he's fulfilled past stuff, but he is a promise to be, he is the salvation, he is the way. And then, Verses 31 and 32, what we see is the part that actually impacts us even more is that this is a hope for all people. This isn't just a hope for one one specific person. This isn't just just a hope. Yeah, it's not just for Israel, but it's for all of us, including the Gentiles, which is you and and me. So let me interject here for a minute. Last week, if, if you listened to our podcast episode last week, I talked about Satan has done a, a wonderful job at confusing words in the church. Yeah. And so we, we briefly talked about how he's confused what love is, what true biblical love is, and what our world says love is. He has confused what the world says is faith versus what is biblical faith. Here is another word that I, I really believe Satan has confused, and it's the word hope. Yeah. So let me let me illustrate it this way. In, in a worldly sense, here's what we mean by hope. You and I are, are, are Cincinnati Bengals fans. I hope the Bengals will win the Super Bowl this year. You know, do I expect them to contend for it? Absolutely, I do. I think they're one of the best teams in the NFL, and I think even a non-Bengals fan would say that. But when I say I hope the Bengals will win the Super Bowl this year, I don't have any confidence that that is true. Surety. That's just, it's, There's no for sure. It's just it's something that I am hopeful for, yeah. not something that's certain, something that I desire or that I want, that I hope for. So that's how we the world uses the word hope. But when we see how the Bible uses the word hope and we say that our hope is in Jesus, our hope is in the salvation we find through Christ, the hope of that salvation is not the same kind of hope when I say, I hope the Bengals win the Super Bowl. It's because a promise. the Bengals may not win the Super Bowl. Yeah. But when we say... Our hope is found solely in Jesus Christ. That hope is not something that is just something we wish for, something we desire, something we want. It is a it is 
confidence that we can have because it is a promise of God and God does not break his promises. Absolutely. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. It is a unbreakable promise that is founded in the resurrection of Jesus and it's not going anywhere. No. Um, no matter how many people try, history doesn't change. And, and our Savior raised from the dead and that's the foundation of all of this. So as we continue on in the book of Luke in chapter 2, I want to point out something I found in verses 46 through 49. And I'll go ahead and read those verses. Verses 46 through 49. Then after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. So this is talking about Jesus. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I'd be in my father's house? So before you you go into what you want to say about this, I gotta ask, were you ever left at church as a kid? Um, I don't remember. Because I definitely was, and every time I read this, <laughs> I always think of the time. It was, I, I don't remember if I was in middle school, or my, it was before I was driving, so it was either middle school or early, or early high school, but we were having youth group, you know, at church at Sunday evening, and mom and dad would drive separate sometimes for whatever reason, one of them was running late, or I don't know why they drove separate, but it was just one of those situations where mom thought I was with dad, and dad thought I was with mom, and so they both went home after church service was over that Sunday night, and so I'm just sitting at church waiting. Yeah, my my parents are going to come get me at some point, and I kept waiting, and kept waiting, and kept waiting, (laughs) and all the other kids left, and... Were you found uh, talking to ministers... Um, no, definitely not in the way that Jesus was, <laughs> but I always think of that. Eventually I was able to get a hold of my parents and they came back and thankfully I only lived like five or six minutes from the church building. So it wasn't a big deal, but I always think of the time I was left at church when I read this and I just thought that was funny. Yeah, but it definitely is. Continue on with your point. Uh, I just want to point out the wisdom that Jesus has at 12 years old. I mean, come on, you don't see, you don't see that in anyone and not only is he wise, but he is wise as God, the Father, you know, as God gave. He's wise to the to uh, to meet the position or the circumstance that he's in. And not only is he wise for that, but he's he's not disobedient because of this wisdom. Mm. So this isn't a you know some people want to get into this is Jesus being disobedient, but he's not and in fact it talks about how he's not and how he goes on to um it it says in verse 51 as we read earlier that he is in subjection to them talking about being in subjection to his parents so he goes back with them he is obedient to them he he was not disobedient to his parents more than that not only was he not disobedient to his parents but he was being fully obedient to the father to fulfill all righteousness in both ways. He was obedient to his parents to fulfill all righteousness, and he was obedient to the Father to fulfill all righteousness. Okay. So God blessed Jesus with wisdom 
for the occasion that he was in. He's 12 years old, but he's a bu- he's um, amongst a bunch of um, you know mature people of, of faith at the time, um, and you know he increased in years significantly in wisdom because God blessed him with this wisdom, and we see that people around were amazed by this wisdom that God blessed him with. Jesus showed that he was not uh, bound to Mary and Joseph by ordinary bonds of obedience. So because he's the Son of God, it's not the same in terms of how the family dynamic works because his father is God. Yeah. Um, and God is our father too, and he comes first always. Um, but we really see that here. Uh, he did. He did go back with Mary and Joseph, as I said earlier, to fulfill all righteousness, to maintain perfection, so that he could be our sacrifice. But this was ultimately all of this whole situation was out of obedience to the Father. He recognized that he had a unique relationship with the Father, even at this young age. Um, he recognized that he had a high and holy mission that he was set apart for, and he was fulfilling that obligation in the how the the heavenly father's house as he puts it himself when yeah. he says I did you not know that I'd be in my father's house um and what's interesting even more is that the word father that Mary uses your father and I is the different word than what Jesus uses in his response so we know Jesus is talking about his heavenly father whereas Mary is talking about Joseph yeah so i wanted to mention that and then we come to the end of the chapter here and I honestly could talk for hours on one verse. Yeah, I know. I know you really love this this verse here in Luke Luke two fifty two. We've talked about it a lot before, so I, I imagine you you have some things to say here with it. There are so many things that we draw from this one verse, and actually, it's kind of two verses. There's another uh, verse in here that talks about him growing, um, but I, I want to specifically focus on verse fifty two. This verse, there's so much in it um, that we can draw from it, but what we see is a mature, a growth in maturity, a maturity of Jesus, and we see these four aspects of, of human existence that all of us, Jesus had, we have, so these four aspects that we see are, are something that proves Jesus' humanity, Okay. Which is really important for us. We, you know, knowing he is fully human, he had to mature in these things. And like Jesus, if we want to bear fruit, we have to mature in these things too. Um, and we see that this was an important thing. Jesus had to do this for his ministry. Um, so the four aspects, I, I'm going to read before I talk about these four aspects, we'll. I want to read it, and we'll actually see the four aspects in here. But this verse 52, the very last verse of the chapter, it says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So there's four things here, four aspects of human existence. Wisdom, stature or physical uh, uh, ability, favor with God, which is our spiritual the spiritual side of us, and then favor with men, the social side of us. All four of those things, we all 
all deal with. So these are not just four areas that Jesus personally grew in that we see here, but also four areas that we ourselves need to be growing in yeah, as well. They, they are four aspects of every human existence. And I want us to realize that the perfection that Jesus grows in these four aspects in. Um, because as we're striving to be like Christ, as we're striving to bear fruit, as we're striving to prove to be his disciples, we have to grow equally in these four aspects of human life. Uh, uh, we have to follow him in this. And I'll, I'll say again, this shows the humanity of Christ and the things that we should uh, mature in. And it also shows his divinity, actually, because only God can be perfect in these things. Um, <clears throat> because of sin, we fail. Yeah. But because he's the son of God, he doesn't fail in maturing in these in these things. So the first thing, wisdom. What is wisdom? What is, what is true wisdom? Well, true wisdom is viewing the world through the scope of God's word. And I'll say that again. Viewing the world through the scope of God's word, then making decisions or understanding circumstances based on that view and the response that we find in Scripture. And we see that over and over again in Jesus' life. Yeah. Over and over again, the way that he looks at the world is through the scope of the way he was made to be. It's through the scope of the Scriptures that he knows. You know, it's, it's through his own word that he does everything. The book of Proverbs tells us that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And so I think that fits right perfectly along with your definition that if we're going to be wise people and have wisdom, we've got to view the world through the lens of God being the creator. Yeah, I actually had that scripture marked. And the second half of that says fools despise wisdom and instruction. Mm. So, you know, wisdom is a big deal. Um, and wisdom is key for us as as we strive to bear fruit. Um you know, if, if we want to bear fruit, then we are going to live our life in this scope, um, in this lens of God's word. We're looking at life always through God's words. That is that is wisdom. And I want to encourage you with something else, too. I, I didn't think about this at all this week. It just kind of came to me now, so I don't mean to keep beating this dead horse, but Again, with Satan confusing words, I believe he's confused what wisdom is. I think there's this, yeah. this idea in the world that wisdom, people are just wise and they're born with it, or the people are just not wise and whatever. Well, biblical wisdom, if you want to know what biblical wisdom is, study the book of Proverbs. Um, I, I've been, about the past month or so, been trying really hard to read at least one proverb per day. And, and I don't tell you that to brag on myself or to put myself on, on a pedestal by any means, but I've learned a lot about wisdom in the last month from doing that. I've read the book of Proverbs before, but it's good to go back and reread things. And all throughout the book of Proverbs, we see wisdom is something, we are told to pursue wisdom. We're told that wisdom is something that can be lost. And, and, and I don't have specific verses to tell you where it says this. I'm just telling you this from the overflow of, of my study of the last month. If wisdom is something can, that can be lost... And if wisdom is something that we're told to pursue, 
in the Bible, in God's word, wisdom is not something that people are either born and you got it or you don't. Wisdom is something that can be learned, and once you've learned it, is also something that can be lost. And the proof of that is from the same writer that wrote Proverbs. If you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, mm, yeah. which is also written by Solomon, he admits that he lost he he lived a life separate from God. He chose to take off that lens of wisdom that he was blessed with for worldly things. And at the end he admits life is vanity without the scope of God, mm. without that lens. And so read read them both. <laughs> uh, because so Solomon talks about all this wisdom, and there's some other writers in there too, but a lot of it is Solomon talking about wisdom and how important it is, and he's been blessed by God with all this wisdom, but then he lives this life after a while that is where he's taken the lens off and realizes what real, true wisdom is. If we're going to be Christians that bear fruit for Christ, one of the first starting points is, is going to be relying on his word and being a, a regular student and reader of the Word. And I know I've struggled with that a lot in my life, my Christian life, and I've talked to a lot of other Christians that struggle with the discipline of staying in the Word. And if you're looking for maybe a way in your own personal life to start building a dependence upon God's Word and a consistency with being in it, I want to encourage you, a really great place to start is just read one proverb per day, one chapter. You can sit down and... Any chapter in Proverbs, if you sit down, your phone's away, and you're only focusing on the Word, you can read any chapter of Proverbs in five minutes if you're a slow reader. Because I'm not the fastest reader in the world when I sit down and read Scripture, because I like to read it out loud to myself. It's just something that I personally do. It helps me remember better. If I read something in my head, my thoughts can get jumbled up and distracted. So if I read out loud and I'm looking at my, at my physical Bible, it helps me to stay focused and it's never taken me more than like five minutes to read one chapter of Proverbs. So if you're looking for maybe a way to get started reading in your Bible and really being consistent with it, I encourage you to try to start with that. You can grow and change a lot just from uh, one proverb. Absolutely. Um, for sure. Um, speaking of growing and changing, the next thing that we see Jesus maturing in is stature. Wow, is America bad at this? Um, to, to put it lightly. And this isn't all about, this isn't all about physical, like being strong and buff looking. That's not what I'm saying, but. So did Jesus have a six pack and was ripped? Is that what we learned here? I'm not saying that, (laughs) but I also, gluttony is a sin and that's something that so many of us struggle with. I, I definitely struggle with it at times. But it's something that we have to be aware of and thinking about. But that's not the only thing that this thing of maturing in stature is about. Um, So not only is Jesus pretty young here, he's 12. So he's maturing in stature in the sense that he's, you know, growing naturally like a human. But I I mentioned that thing of America, but also there's this thing that we see in Scripture of Gnosticism where... There is this disregard of the body or anything phys- of the physical world because it's viewed as the only thing that can be evil. So everything that's physical is evil and the spirit, spirit isn't. And we have to be careful that we don't fall into this thing of Gnosticism when, when as we focus on the spirit. 
Um, we have to make sure that we understand what the importance of the physical is. The physical isn't, number one, the physical by itself, the way God created it is not evil. Um, God created things good, and sin is what, what brought about uh, anything that is wrong in the physical. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we have this problem of disregarding it for focus because we focus so much on the spirit. The spirit is essential. The spirit is important. And there's definitely reason to say that the spirit is the most important. But that doesn't mean that our body is not, is unimportant. Sometimes if we neglect taking care of our physical body, it is going to affect our ability to serve the Lord. Yeah. Um, and when we look, if we look just at Genesis chapter 7, I just want to read the creation of man quickly. Then the Lord God formed man out, uh, formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So we see this formation of the physical. It isn't just a formation of the spirit, but it is a formation of the physical. It is important. And so there are values, and a, there is a need for physical maturity if we want to bear fruit. Um Number one, the physical, our bodies are what carry our, our spirit, and it's also what carries the Holy Spirit. Yeah, as temple, temple of the Lord. Yeah, when we become Christians, we get that indwelling, and we carry a, a piece. Not a piece. I don't want to say a piece. That's not a good way to say it. We carry God within us, his yeah. spirit. Um, not only that, but... The scriptures speak to us actually glorifying the Lord. Um, and there's this same verse talks about both of the two things I just said, glorifying God and the fact that we carry the Spirit. And that verse, that scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple, which you just mentioned, of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have whom you have from God and that you are not your own for you have been bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body mm. so we carry the spirit we glorify God it contains our senses our body is what contains our five senses are there more than that five there's five senses oh, right there's sight one smell taste touch feeling I think touch and feeling are the same thing. I, I th- I'm pretty sure there's five. But anyway, obedience to com- certain commands in Scripture require that, require some physical um, commitment along with spiritual, and baptism is an example of that. Now, baptism isn't about getting clean, but for us to be obedient to the gospel, we get baptized— we physically get in the water, and that resembles the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that's a physical and a spiritual thing. It's not physical alone by any means, because uh, some people view it as that. It's not spiritual alone, because it is an act of obedience. A physical act that we do. Yeah. Um, well, it's a physical act somebody does to us, but... Um, 
it is something that that we obey in a physical way. Yeah. Um, and then also sins of gluttony and sexual morality deal with levels of physical maturity. So you know we need to keep that in mind as we are seeking to bear fruit. Um, and one of the ways we seek to bear fruit is obedience. Um, is through God's spirit that he's given us, we do, there's so many things that we do and the, there's so many things that the spirit helps us with. And one of those things we mentioned in the bearing fruit was glorifying God. Yeah. And we do that. One of the things that we do is with our body and Jesus did that perfectly. His stature was perfect. Absolutely. Um, the next thing in that, that verse is favor with God. This spiritual state if you if you want to say it that way, spiritual state. I'll begin this part by just asking you all, Jacob, I'll ask you as well, do you know the current state of your soul? Mm. Do you know the current state of your soul? Have you been justified? Are you being sanctified? Those are really important questions that we should be confident in. And if if uh, we're not confident in those answers, we got a spiritual state problem. How many different states are there that we can be in? Saved and lost. There's there's no middle ground. No. I'm glad we agree. No shot. Uh, saved and lost. If you don't know the answer to that, you know we there is some increasing in favor with God that you've got to do. And Jesus was constantly developing his relationship with God. And we see that throughout his ministry um, and throughout his life. He was constantly growing in favor with God. Um, It's interesting that all three of these things that we've mentioned so far, favor with God, uh, stature, and wisdom, all three of those things, are needed to love God. Hmm. I did, I've never thought about it like that. Um, when we look at Mark chapter 12, verse 30, let me turn there real quick. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, the way that Mark says Jesus responds to the Pharisees when he's talking about what the greatest commandments are Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So this thing of loving God, it requires that we be, it requires that we have this level of maturity, not only in spirit, in favor with God, but also a level of maturity in our stature or our strength and a level of maturity in, um, in our wisdom with our mind. So I may be getting ahead of you here, but you mentioned the first three um, areas of growth in Luke 2.52, wisdom, stature, and favor with God. Those point back to the greatest commandment that Jesus said. Well, if you remember... He also tells us, he said, the second greatest commandment is like it, Mm -hmm. to love your neighbor as yourself. And what is the fourth area of growth we see in Luke 2.52? Jesus grew in favor with men, with other human beings. Exactly right. Exactly right. 
So we get into this thing. These first three directly impact us loving God. And we have to love God to love people. That's a that's a topic that we can go down a rabbit hole big time. Definitely. But, you know, we Jesus grows in these three aspects, and he grows in favor with men. And as you just said, the following thing is love your neighbor. Um, and, um, you know, we see Jesus several times, and we see throughout the Scripture, the Scriptures say, love one another. Um, and you know, that in order to love one another, we've got to have favor with men. We've got to, we've got to have a maturity in the social aspects of life. I've heard some, some Christians say, well, I can be a Christian and love God, but not go to church. I've, I've heard people say this and maybe you've thought this before. Um, maybe you know someone that's thought this before. I challenge you to consider this verse in light of that thought. Can we be a Christian, love and worship and live for God, but not go to church? Well, if Jesus grew in favor with man, I'm not saying church is the only place we go to do that, but that's most likely the place we go where we grow the closest to people because of the fellowship we have with the body of Christ, with other Christians. We meet together every Lord's Day, to encourage one another, to equip one another, to build each other up. And and that is essential to our Christian faith. We see it here from Jesus growing with fa- in favor with men, but we also see it from the book of Acts. We see how the early church functioned, and we, we ought to strive to do the same thing as they did. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add to that with the other side of favor with men is how was Jesus— going to preach the gospel and establish the kingdom without being able to handle himself socially. Mm. You can't. He, he, he would not have been able to accomplish the, the will that God had for him, the purposes that God the Father had for him as he lived here. He would not have been able to fulfill this calling to be our Messiah, to be the Savior of all that we talked about at the beginning of the chapter, if he was not growing in his ability to handle social situations in order, you know, he had to be able to teach and preach. And we actually see in, in verses in in Matthew chapter 13, to what significance this was that he grew socially. Okay. It wasn't just this, you know, he was able to talk to somebody. We read in Matthew chapter 13, 13 verse 54 and it says he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers so it got to the point where he was so socially capable that it surprised people there is a saying that it would that reigns true during the life of Jesus and it reigns true during our lives today as people don't care how much you know or what you know until they know how much you care. Mm. If we're not growing socially, and I say this as someone who being social is not natural for me. I've, I've always been an introvert, and I've always been pretty shy. And so the, the decision to go into ministry, my social aspect of my life is something I've had to really work on and grow in a lot, and I still have a long way to go. 
but are we going to be able to reach people who need Christ, who need the state of their soul to be justified before God, as we talked about earlier? Are we going to be able to reach them if we can't handle ourselves in social situations? Are people going to care what we know until they know how much we care for them? The answer is no. And it it impacts me because as well in, in a similar way because I used to be way more outgoing than I am now. I've actually uh, drawn into a hole a little bit in the <laughs> last five years, if you want to put it that way. And I've got to see this and pull my and and not pull myself out but allow Jesus and his example to pull me out in order to uh fulfill his purpose for me in in ministry but really in in sharing the gospel absolutely so as we wrap things up we must develop ourselves as christian people in wisdom we must develop ourselves in stature We must develop ourselves in favor with God and favor with man for the purpose of accomplishing God's will in our life. Um, You know, we have to grow in wisdom, favor with God, favor with man for the purpose of accomplishing God's will in our life, which is to bear fruit Mm. and to prove to be his disciples. That's good. Good stuff. Um, If we're not growing in those things, then... You know, bearing fruit's going to be, you know, the last thing on our list uh, of things that we need to fix, the things that we need to grow in. Um, you got anything else to add before we wrap up? No, oh, we just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. Um, again, I want to remind you guys we're, we're experimenting with some new audio equipment, and we're hoping that it's a something that you guys can hear clearly, and the volume is good, the quality is good, so that way... There's no barriers and anything we're trying to communicate here. So please leave a comment or reach out to Tanner and I personally and let us know if you were able to hear us well and any other thoughts you may have, uh, let us know. Thank you for listening. Uh, I've really enjoyed doing this with you the last few weeks. Um, So, yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, and uh, again, it's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you. Uh, As always. It's awesome. We'll pick back up in Luke chapter 3 next week. We're really going to start getting into the ministry part of First John the Baptist, but then Jesus' life. So skipping some years, but really diving into uh, the meat of, of Jesus' life that we see in the Scriptures. Excited to get into it. Yeah. Thank you all again for listening. I keep saying watching the past couple weeks, so <laughs> I'm, uh, but thank you for listening. Uh, We ask that you leave a like, uh, comment, rate us, uh, contact us with questions if you've got them, uh, and continue to hang with us each week. Hang out with us next week as we dive into Luke chapter 3. And I'll say again, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples.